Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank here from Sniper's Hide. Mike is back at Mile High. He's manning the counters today. So if you have any of those scope buying questions that everybody's hitting me up with, give Mike a call. He's in the retail shop, so he could probably answer a lot of that better. Um, Quick note on that. A lot of the questions, and, and I'm jumping right into it. I'm not going to banter around and play. Um. A lot of questions are coming my way in buying advice. It seems everybody wants to know, you know, which one to get, product A, product B. And just an FYI, uh, you guys can head over to Sniper's Hide. And, and I know it's a little bit more personal to get m- my take on it directly from you, you know, from me. And so, hey, Frank, what do you think of product A versus product B? But there are a lot of the exact same question that comes up. And, you know, that's good on one level that you guys are responding to this. And thank you. I mean, we're over 900 followers already, 30,000 downloads. That's huge, man. That that That's just a fantastic response rate with this. I, I'm actually blown away. And I think Mike and I talk to each other once or twice a day about this. And it's usually just a short text like, holy shit, dude, look at these numbers. But... Back to buying advice, and, and I'm actually going to put something together on this because, I mean, these are the majority of the questions. We have uh, in the Sniper Side form under the um, the scope section, which is your second section down, there's a couple resources you guys can use. Number one, there's a ring height guide because I, I get a lot of the ring height questions still, and then there's tips for asking advice about buying a rifle scope. And I'm going to go through that. Um, This is a carryover. And it really is, again, what's the platform for the scope? You know, what is it going to go on? Because that can have some bearing. There's so many options out there with scopes. I get it. It's confusing. There's just a metric ton of them. But what is it going to go on? You know, what is your end result when it comes to this? Are you shooting F-class? Do you know, do you need a Night Force competition 55 power or you shoot in PRS, 25 power, you know, where are we going there? What caliber are you shooting? Is it 22s or up to 338? If it's 338, you know, we might say, hey, you want to buy this scope that has 32 mils of adjustment versus buying a scope that only has, you know, 15 mils of adjustment. So that's a big consideration with that. The type of conditions you typically shoot. Are you just a fair weather shooter? You're going out on a Saturday afternoon, shooting for a couple hours and heading home. Are you a PRS guy or a competition guy where the weather may turn ugly? Are you a hunter where you're going to go up in the woods and you want lighter? You know, it may be a case where I say, hey, it's a Vortex AMG. It's a great crossover optic. It's smaller and lighter, still gives you power, 28 mils of adjustment. You know, there's these considerations that are in there. You know, uh, what's the distance you intend to shoot? I don't really equate, and this question comes up a lot, what magnification do I need to shoot a 1,000 yards? It's not really a magnification thing. It is, but most of our modern scopes are, you know, even on the low end, in the budget, they're 25 power. Uh, We've told you over and over again, I think we have, I might not have done it out loud on the podcast, my, in a competition setting, I'm between 12 and 18 power. 
on a typical, I'm out on the range and I'm not messing with stuff, I'm doing some training, I'm 18 to 20 power. You know, if I'm shooting paper at 100, well, then I turn it up to 25 or so. But these are generally where I shoot. You know, we used to do it with the 10X at 1,000 yard. And that 10X is, you know, 10,000 yard, one inch, yada, yada, that kind of thing. It, that's a little bit underpowered nowadays. And you tend to find those 10Xs have thicker reticles and things, you know, because they're trying to fill them in. But it, it, we're, we're not doing the 10X stuff anymore as much. You still got the 2 to 10s, uh, like Night Forces. And I have them on the, um, the, the, the Gladius, or I think it's on my AR now, uh, uh, an AR-10. But I have a 2 to 10 on like a gas gun, like a 16-inch gas gun is where I put the 2 to 10. You know, so th- there's that kind of consideration to think about. You know, is there any specific option you want? almost all have zero stops now that used to be a big deal when it came to options you know does it have a zero stop maybe you want a second rev indicator and then it's like okay well i just mentioned the vortex amg because they slim that scope down it doesn't have the second rev indicator and somebody may say well i like the second rev indicator okay well the amg's out you know so that's helping us make that decision um and then the Big, big, big one. If you're asking us on scope buying advice, rather than saying I'm looking at scope A or scope B, give us your budget. You know, that's really, really going to help. And on the plus side, when we're talking Mike, mile high, the whole thing, budgets let him go to a specific place. Okay. He knows how much money you have to spend. So that's really, really important to put out there up front. If the question comes in on the Everyday Sniper Facebook page, hey, Frank, hey, Mike, I'm looking to buy a scope and my budget is $1,250. I'm going to put it on a 6.5 Creed that I may try to shoot some local competitions with and I'm going to do A, B, and C with it. Well, now we can answer that question. You know, now it becomes a much easier list for us to work off of. And I mean, like I said, there are so many scopes out there now. I mean, a lot of OEMs, guys have figured out, like, you know, with the Athlons and stuff like that, that you can go to different places. You know, you got Light Optical, who who does a lot of them. Um, you know, there's, there's Asia Optics, and they used to be Haku and stuff like that. You can spec a scope out and put your name on the side. That's why you see so many similarities in these brands, power factor-wise, design-wise, turret-wise, because they all come from main manufacturers. You can, Miopt is another one, you know, you guys can go to them and say, or GPO now for the Europeaners, you know, they can go and say, uh, Frank and Mike are going to start the Everyday Sniper Scope Company, we want a scope. I can go to to these different places and say, give me a 3 to 18 with a 50 millimeter objective with zero stops and double rev and all this stuff, and they will build me the scope and put my name on it. How much I spend and where my budgets are will determine the quality of that scope. A lot of these scopes that are in that $1,200 range, these guys are paying $300 or less for them. You know, it's, it's like that four times kind of deal. So that's something that, you know, we're trying to take into account when we're answering these questions. 
we get far more scope questions than rifle questions. The rifles don't seem to be that big a mystery to people. Um, and and we, we nailed a lot of this down with the, with, with, when we talked in the early podcasts. But it, it's, it's the scopes, man. It's one after the other after the other with scope questions for us. And, and so, um, you know, that's, that's something that it, it, going in this direction that we're going, we need more details. You know, we can, I, I could fill in, I could just answer, okay, Night Force Vortex, Schmidt and Bender, Night Force Vortex, I could do that all day. You know, like I said, we're looking at the new Leopolds and, and Leopold and things like that. There, there's other options out there, the SIGs. The SIG lines, I think, are really, really good. I've used them. I have one here, uh, you know, uh, more than one, actually. If you look at their their lasers, their, their smaller optics for ARs, the, the new line, the, the Tango series, those scopes are excellent. I like the reticles in them. I like the level plex, that 5 to 30 Tango 6. I'm a big fan of. It's not the lightest scope out there. It's a little heavy, sort of getting close to that Vortex Gen 2 Razor-ish on weight-wise, but it feels good. It looks good. It With that level plex, it mounts so dang easy. And we've been getting a lot of questions, at least I have seen them, um, to me for the Tango fours and stuff. I totally, uh, yeah, story was doing a private class here. A uh, local gun shop guy that I know, uh, set me up with one of his customers. I came in and they said, this is the rifle he's going to shoot. This is the setup we did. And immediately I was like, mm, swap that scope. They had a, a Trigicon AccuTrack on it. And, and I, you know, I'm not down on Trigicon or anything like that, but it just wasn't quite where I thought he should be. I said, take that scope off and put that Tango on. And we had a flawless training evolution. It's a nice scope. It's a good scope. You know, there's a lot of these budget scopes out there. I mean, we're flooding that 1500 actually 1200 to $2,000 market right now with these options. You know, the new... Bushnells. I didn't think some of the other ones were worth the money initially. They have improved them. They 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 just they're not you know straight up calling them Gen two, Gen three. But excuse me a second. But anyway, um, they uh they are improving them model wise. So this latest bash of Bushnells, you know, have improvements to them. So they kind of line up a little better. You go two series back with some of them and I didn't think they were that fantastic and you know retail wise I was hearing from the vendors on Sniper's Hide that they had a pretty large return rate and so that's always a consideration you know what is the return rate on these scopes and that if you're calling a shop and you're not using mile high or using somebody else ask about that return rate hey how many people are bringing this back or calling back up and saying they think there's a problem with it I mean, there, there, there's a certain amount of operator error that's happening out there. But at the same time, if people are always sending the same brand back, it's kind of that red flag that we should be looking at. And I almost think if you're a retail company out there listening, you, you know, keep a kind of a side note on that. I know there's some of them might have margins and you don't want to kind of cut your own feet out from under it. But if you're constantly having somebody return a brand, you might want to step up and talk to these guys. And say, hey, dude, why is this part falling down? Why is tracking off? Why is this off? 
You know, because understand, a lot of these OEMs, they'll get the first kind of run on them. And it's funny because the first run's actually almost a better one to get in a lot of ways, to be one of those first guys in the gate on them. Because what happens is these guys who who bring them in, and I've seen this, uh, and I won't mention the company's name, but I've been there and saw it. What they'll do is they'll test them. They'll bring a bunch of them in and they'll test a whole bunch of them. Then when the next shipments start coming in and they start, you know, putting them out on the street down the road, they batch test. They'll only pull like one or two out of certain elements of it to take a look at them. And that's where you start running into these brand level problems because these companies are only batch testing and they're they're not testing like they did when they first came in where they're looking at a lot more of them to make sure these guys nailed it. I mean, these all companies all make mistakes like anybody else, you know, Monday, Friday, we talk about that. So it's, it's definitely something to look at. Like I said, scopes are the number one question I get. Uh, th- these conversations, these questions are gigantic. Snipers hides a huge resource for that. Go to the forum, Ask your questions, do your searches. The search engine works good on the hide. You can just peruse down the form. I guarantee this question has been answered a hundred plus times. Now, you know, again, I get it. You want to hear it from me. You want to hear it from Mike. That that, that That's good, but it, it does take a lot of time to, to go and answer, you know, 10 emails every morning on the same thing. And, and it's like, Hey, I'm looking at the Vortex Gen 2 Razor. Hey, I'm looking at the, not Gen 2 Razor, but the uh, PST, the new one, the 5 to 25. Hey, I'm looking at the Gen 2 5 to 25, 5 to 25, 5 to 25, 5 to 25. And it's like, yeah, you you know, you're kind of splitting a little bit of hairs there, but it, it, it is good. You, If you want, you want to say, hey, you know, what's going on here? And don't look at, don't look at the the, the return rate of these, sub $1,200 optics. That's a whole different ball game. I know a lot of people, that's your price point. That's your budget. Those sub $1,200 optics have even less level of QC in a lot of ways. Those, those are the scopes they know. If something goes wrong with them, odds are they're just going to swap it out. You know, if your Gen 2 Razor screws up, they're going to fix it. If your Viper for $800 screws up, they'll probably just swap it out depending on what's wrong with it. More than likely, it's just a, here's a new one, give us your old one. Here's a new one, give us your, and and that's the model. That's why your $300 price tag scope that sells for $1,200 is priced that way because they know there's going to be X amount of returns and X amount of situations where they're going to trade them out. And, and that's something you want to look at. But the thing is, what you want to do, go look at the ones they're not talking about. Who's not using customer service? That's where I always went. You know, if somebody says, well, you know, so-and-so's got great customer service. Great customer service. And it's like, yeah, they have great customer service because they need it. Now, in a big company like a Vortex, and I'm not talking about them, they have those really inexpensive $90 red dots all the way up to the $2,500 Gen 2 Razor. They have great customer service. They're a big company. They're, I've been there, huge, tons of people. 
They're they're a online builder, everything. They're more into it. But if you take a smaller company, sort of in the US optics model, and everybody says, yeah, I talked to US optics and they have great customer service. Well, odds are they need it. Where you don't hear a lot about it is the companies, you know, that people aren't using that customer service. And, and I know it's a little harsh to say for you, some of you manufacturers who are listening, but I mean, I know you got money to make and I, I know you, you, you got to do what you're doing and a lot of scopes are on the street. Your return rate is probably tiny, but it just gets magnified. And, and honestly, that's what happens to you guys listening. The, the, these guys, if they see this return rate grow too big, they're going to change it. But when you see this 2 to 5% return rate, you know, they may start looking at it when it reaches that 5, but you may, you know, they may only have a 2% return rate, but everybody cries about it because they're the squeaky wheel people. I paid $800 for this optic and it didn't work. It's like, yeah, you're at the lowest end of the thing. Because I've heard people like, and, and I'm not to beat up on Vortex, but they're huge. They're popular. They're, they have something for everyone. But you have people who think they're going to compare that $800 model to the $2,400 one. That's not quite how it works, you know? And, and so it, it, it's we, we don't expect this in really any other thing. You wouldn't go out and say, well, you know, my TV that I just spent $289 for on sale is not going to compare to that $2,500 model from the same company. You know, you're not going to expect the same level of quality. There's a reason why the prices scale the way they do. So you have to be realistic. You know, that's what I'm saying. Don't immediately get down on them because, you know, hey, man, that's where your budget is. I get it. That's where, but that's not the company's fault that they're offering to you in that price point. That's the way that that model works. And if, if it tends to, you know, something goes wrong on it, well, they're using cheaper parts and you're paying less money. And they're not putting as many eyes and hands on it between finish and you because they're saving the money that way. If you want someone to really make sure you want your shit bulletproof, spend the money. You know, if you went and spent $800 in, in an industry that the average cost is now $2,000, you're on the low end, man. You're you might take a hit somewhere. And and unfortunately, that's just the nature of the game that we're dealing with. In you know, magnums, recoil, this, that, the whole thing. You know, we're pounding on these optics underneath. Uh, over locally, Burris over here, Burris, Steiner, and Greeley. They have like an I beam, and you can put scopes in this I-beam and it does this like pile driver, you know, those like well pile, patink, 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 and the things like pile driving, they put scopes in that fixture and they pile drive them. I've been to Leopold. Leopold has that. They have a water submersion tank. They have pile drivers. They have shakes. They have a thing like it's in your car. Think about a patrol rifle or something in the, in the back of a, of a police officer's vehicle. He's driving around all day, active shooter thing comes up. He's now got to take that rifle out and, and work with it. After it's 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 been in his vehicle thoughtless for the last 45 days since his training with it. And 
you know, it's vibrating in his car. He's driving around. He's chasing speeders. He's doing all these things. That puts wear on the... Because scopes work off springs. Springs let things bounce. So... You know, that's one of those things that you have to you have to understand big picture wise what's going on with these different optics. But it's it's amazing just how many questions I get on scopes alone. I mean, it is the number one question out there. And and like I said, we're we're happy to answer them. If if it's buying question, 303 255 9999. Ask for Mike. I'm interested in a scope. What are you guys selling? Here's my budget. Here's my features I'm looking for. Tell me what you got. One of the other things to look at, they got used stuff. They take trade-ins all the time. You might find a really good used scope at a at a decent price. You know what I mean? Like 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 a gold standard one that's in the price of your mid-range. So, you know, try to cut a bargain with them. It's, it's worth it. You know, somebody will say, hey, I, I, I just got a line on, you know, this used Schmidt and Bender for 2100 Should I jump on it? It's like, yeah, why not? You know, I would. It, 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 it's, it, it, should you spend, if your budget's 1800 but you can kind of creep up to twenty one and get a Schmidt, why not? That you'd be kind of silly. Resale value is awesome. You know, all these things, uh, think about that, consideration on that. Your, your, your lower ends aren't going to have a resale uh, value that these higher end ones. Here's the other thing when it comes to optics too. They'll grow with you, okay? So if you can spend a little more, spend a little more because the scope can follow you. I mean, I'm still using scopes that are 10 plus years old here on some of these rifles, um, you know, when I shot that with that, um, that Schmidt three to 12 that I shot on the Tika. And then I said, I mentioned that I moved it off because I felt I was underpowered with a max range of 12 power and just the reticle was older. It was a P4. It wasn't even a P4 fine. It was too thick. The match that I shot with it, the targets were small. I mean, we did the eight, the four inch target at 820 yards. My reticle covered it. You know, okay, bad choice. Get rid of that. But that scope was like 12 years old and it still looks as good as the first day. So, you know, I'm not afraid to use a lot of my older scopes. I have a bunch of 4 to 16 Schmitz that I still use. A lot of 42 uh, millimeter objective versions too that I have on stuff because they mount low. They're easy with some of the flat rails that I'm using. So it's a good choice. But I think buying, you know, scope buying is our number one question we don't get as much questioned rifle and, and all that, but um, it, it's something I'm going to address moving forward uh, to put something out there, hard copy for you guys, um, you know, kind of like every, I'd have to do it every six months, but uh, I'm going to address it because this podcast has illuminated so much in terms of questioning what do I buy in terms of scopes. Mr. Fuzz is, is itching. You hear his, his tags jingling. He's, he's, he's by the chair here. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because it is my number one question. You guys are all asking me about scopes. Interesting um, topic came up yesterday. I, I got a, a PDF come in from uh, Gus down in South America, uh, Argentina there. 
and he does Patagonia ballistics and he works with Jim Boatwright. Jim's a, a pretty well-known ballistician, maybe not so much publicly, but behind the scenes, he, he's, he's well-known. And he did a paper on hyper-stabilizing bullets for extreme long range. And part of that is talking about overspinning and hyperspinning projectiles. Now, I think you guys should all head over to the Beyond Thousand and see what, you know, put the paper up. It's in the resources section on Sniper's Hide 2. I posted the PDF. It's got some data. Jim did the coning theory that talks about the uh, procession. People ask about, you know, is the bullet stable uh, when it comes out of the barrel? You know, it's it's the old, his coning theory addresses, you know, I shoot better at 300 and terrible at 100 and, and you know, that kind of thing. And actually, he brings that way in to the, the muzzle. But he's talking about overstabilizing the uh, bullets. Basically saying a 338 should have a six twist barrel for ELR shooting. Now caveat that he doesn't caveat as big as I think should be out there will only work with solid bullets. You can't use a jacketed bullet for any of this. You try to over overspin a jacketed bullet, you risk a lot. And we've talked about this. You, you, you risk deforming that bullet. Understand, soft lead underneath, thin copper jacket, overspinning stuff by a full measure like that is, is a no-go. But solids, solids are a whole nother game. And he's coming out with a solid bullet that he's working with David Tubb on. They got patent pendings. They're doing all this. Uh, Warner Tool's making them, but Warner Tool has nothing to do with it other than they're the manufacturer. But the bullet design um, has David Tubb's nose ring on there, which I understand comes from Benchrest too. But uh, I think he actually applied for a patent pending on the nose ring. So th- there's there's a lot that goes into this bullet. It, it's on the surface when you look at it, and I have a picture of it on Sniper's Hide. It doesn't look, I mean, it does, but it doesn't. It doesn't look like anything too crazy. It'll, it'll jump out like because it has the nose ring and things, but there's there's a bunch of stuff under the hood of this bullet, but they're solid copper bullets. Your Warner tools, your cutting edges, the, this new one that David's working with, it, that's the only way you want to go when you're hyper-stabilizing and over-spinning stuff. You, you risk deformation and things like that with jacketed bullets so that's why when we were talking gain twist and and i mentioned that there's a great gain twist discussion going on as far as barrels and things and frank green came in from bartland they have more barrels now with extra testing ports going to hornaday we've already tested a set of gain twist through hornaday and another set is going with even more points of uh confirmation because they're finding very little negative to the gain twist stuff that I've been talking about and I've been shooting. But now with Jim's paper, he's recommending this six twist. And which is interesting and funny because I have an old, the old ZA bullet from Noel Carlson. Uh, the 278 grain and stuff. Super long. And there's a picture in the same thread on Sniper's Hide of the two side by side. Big difference in them. But back in the day, and we're going back eight years or so, back in the day, Noel Carlson was saying as the bullet designer, 
you needed this gain twist barrel and it was a 13 to 5.4 twist barrel. And it was crazy. It was like 13 to 5.4 and a 338. Ah, what do I do with it? And, and, and Noel had a lot of science behind it and a lot of discussion went on with it. And for me, and I shot it and it worked and everything was fine. The, you know, to a degree it worked, but the bullet never fully flushed out. He he had two gens and the third gen never kind of quite materialized and it fell off the radar because this stuff's expensive and, and not a lot of people are buying it to sustain the um the effort to go forward. So we're 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 talking um with this and I'm like, you know, with when the new bullet comes and what Jim Boatwright talking about using a six twist three thirty-eight. I can take my 300 or my 338 Norma barrel. That's a 13 to 5.4. I can probably breathe some new life into it with the solids and start playing around ELR wise with it. See what it'll do. Cause it'll spin right on my AI. It's a 338 Norma for my accuracy international. And like I said, it'll end at a 5.4 twist. Hyper stabilized, right? Hyper spun. So, that may work. It's a completely different conversation with jackets, you know, so don't try to, um, you know, put one over to the other. And, you know, people were saying, because we were having a, like I said, really lively in a positive way, conversation about gain twist barrels come back up and we're talking about it. And I have um, six millimeter gain twist I have the 338 gain twist. I have the 260 gain twist. Um, I have another one too, and I can't even think off the top of my head what it is. There might be a 30 cal in there somewhere. But I have all these from Bartland that I've been playing with slowly, and I think I'm going to talk to them and maybe jump something up for this spring-summer again, and, and we'll look at that some more. But, you know, they're saying there's no data for gain twist. I want to go back into some history on that. Gain twist is not new, okay? What's new today in terms of gain twist is our technology and barrel manufacturing. You got Pope from the turn of the century was making competition rifles. Okay. A, a Pope, uh, you can go to the armory, the NRA museum or whatever, the NRA museum, the Marine Corps and stuff like that. They have Pope rifles. Okay. Ver variants, Shenandoah's and a bunch of, um, sharps, a sharp Pope and things like that. Those are handmade gain twist barrels on a Pope rifle. And Pope, like I talked about before, was a silhouette shooter. Okay. And then this conversation came through Frank Green of Bartland Barrels, and him and I had been talking about Pope and, and the gain twist. And with their technology, we're like, well, why aren't we revisiting this? Well, let me tell you why gain twist died at the turn of the century. And, and there's a clue in there turn of the century manufacturing. When they started mass producing barrel making and rifle making, you know, sewing machines, Eli Whitney, the whole thing, mass production, they start making machines, machines turn to the right, you know, they're, they're fixed. They didn't have the ability to, now there is a certain amount of gain in it because of the, the metal, you know, the speed, the, the density, different properties in metal. So the twist rates aren't always perfect. But, you know, when they started doing with the Pratt Whitney machines and things like that, those are fixed. Guy wants to get into barrel making. He gets, you know, back in the day, they got Pratt machines. And 
that's all they can do was right hand twist, yada, yada, yada. Now you take like a Mark Chandlin. Mark Chandlin's a Boots Arbermeyer guy. Chandlin's well known here in the in Colorado. He does like left hand twist stuff. Okay. And we talked about that or uh, online we have. I don't think I've talked about it in the podcast, but uh, Mark Chandlin is one of those guys that he's his stuff actually goes the other way. And, and you could change the gearing to go left or right, but like Proof's machines, okay? Proof has a newer barrel-making machine, and I went to Proof's uh, um, uh, factory up in Montana there. And how their barrel twist make goes is there's a, there's a gear on the front of the machine, and they can say, okay, I need a 10 twist. They pull that gear off the front. They mount it, and there's a, there's a geared track alongside and the gear just follows the track it's it's you know it it fits in the slots it almost you know pick rail looking and the gear runs on that on that uh track and that's where you get your twist rate they take the pull a different gear off different size different twist rate but you know eight inch gear six inch gear ten inch gear all kind of that thing will change your twist rate on how fast the machine is turning well, how do you do a gain twist with that? Because it's fixed. So you'll have barrel manufacturers either shoot it down or not talk about it or not even think about it because their machines aren't set up to do it. Bartland barrel guys, Tracy Bartland, everybody, they leave Krieger. They go over and start their own thing. Tracy has ideas for new machines. He invests tons and tons of money. He has computer-controlled machines that aren't subject to gearing that way all they need to do is go to the pad go to the control panel hit the buttons left right now they have to make a new tool for left versus right but gaining it or progressive how they call it doesn't change they just have to hit the button start at 10 end at 10 how about start at 10 end at 8 they could do it start at 10.345 end at 8.527 they can do it they can put, I think it's like four digits past the decimal point they can put in and they can make these gain progressive twist barrels. So that's why you're seeing it slowly trickle out through what we're doing. Why it's not more widespread. Why the data is not out there. Because we're basically reviving old technology with modern manufacturing. Back in the day, he hand cut the barrel. Today, they're doing it by machine. Gears on a track, computer CNC. You know what I mean? So that's where this is starting to come into play. So we're learning a little more. We're playing around. Now, Bartlin's recommending a three-quarter twist. So if you started at eight, you would end at like seven and a quarter would be your three quarter. I almost think in that six, five zone or in a lot of them, you can do a full one. So a seven, eight or eight, seven, you'll start at the, uh, the breach at eight end at the muzzle at seven. I don't think that'll hurt much. And I think that's probably the good place to go. But like Bartland's doing the service rifle guys. And one of them guys is on in this discussion he top three the the last year with a Bartland gain twist and, and he's just getting into it and he thinks the gain twist is a game changer. They're doing 13 to 6 twist with their service rifle suit and 223s. 
So they start at 13 at the breech. They end at six at the muzzle. Here's the benefit for them. Not only can they increase their muzzle velocity out of a 20-inch barrel without the pressure issues, but then they can, when they're shooting short, they do the lighter grain bullets. When they get to the 1,000-yard, they're doing 90-grain bullets. And as they're talking about, those 90-grain bullets are really, really, really hard for them to get to work. You know, load them right, push them hard, the whole thing. It's not as easy, but with the game twist... They get they make it work much easier because now they got a variety. They're 300 yard, you know, they're short range. They can shoot a light bullet that's fast. When they get to the long range, they can shoot the heavy bullet, and the barrel likes both. Okay, there's variety there. One barrel is doing more, and not like like look, we're talking two two threes here. Everybody ah, pulls their hair out. Two two three barrel twist. Seven eight nine. What do I do? You know, I mean, it's huge topics of discussion. Well, 13 to 6 is where the competition guys are, and a lot of them are now going to gain twist. There's a clue there. There's some bench rest guys going at it. And now you got you want to go into longer range. You don't necessarily want the shorter range stuff. If you're shooting farther, this is where this benefit comes in. In the short range, you're not going to see it. But if you want to overspin something, hyperstabilize, especially jacketed bullets. If you want to push something a little bit harder without pressure, the gain twist. Okay, this, this needs to be looked at more and more and more. We've, we're, we're changing some bullet technology with the solids, right? We're, we're, we're doing so much scopes with electronics in it, the Revic with the computer, you know, your Kestrels, you're all, we're doing all this stuff. We got new powders, you know, like we were talking about 2000 MR with a 308, it's a game changer versus like a Varget kind of thing. Get more velocity, less pressure signs, easier to meter, all these different things. Barrels, you know, that's where the next point needs to go. We need to go and not just spin something harder, but start spinning it gain wise and left handed. If you're an EL, if you're building an ELR gun, Left hand gain twist. Call Bartlett up. Order a left hand gain twist. Do a full one in the change. So like a 9-8 twist with a 338. That would be, I would almost probably go 9-5 to 8-5. You know, and do it that way. I, you're, the solids, everybody's kind of like with the 300 Norma. Oh, what do I do with the 300 Norma? You know, I want to shoot the 230s to something. I get tons and tons of questions. I'm shooting a 10 twist. I love it. I know Mile High is building a ton of 10 twist. Everybody loves it. I get people coming up and saying, gee, I'm having a hard time with the 8 twist 300 Norma, you know, because they're trying to overspin that. Well, if you went like, you know, that 9.5 to 8.5 in your 30 cal, hello, a 10 to a 9. Or, you know, I, I'd almost even try to see about stretching that guy out. Maybe a 10 to 8 in a 30 cal. See what it would do. I, I think that might be a money spot right there. But that's the answer to a lot of these questions that are going on. And, and like I said, just think about the conversations people have had in the past with twist rates. And just in that 223 family, you know. And here's competition, guys who are at national levels using gain twist. Okay. So this is not new. This is not invisible. This is, you know, reanimating an old game 
just with modern techniques. And so that's where I really think this needs to go in changing what we're doing. You get that like that that little bit extra spin at the end without damaging the bullet. And, and, and before we get finished with this part of the conversation, the grooves do not lay over themselves. That's not quite how it works. Remember, it's a one in eight. So every foot is where the, the, the full twist comes or eight inches, I should say. Every eight inches, it's doing one revolution or it's coming back to where it started from 12. So if you're 12 o'clock, it takes eight out eight inches to get back to 12. So if you're gaining it, it doesn't layer over at it. It just sort of changes the way it stretches out. It's progressive, okay? It just gets a little faster and it doesn't lay over itself. So you're not scoring the bullet more, doing weird shit. It doesn't have different sets. It's not two sets of lands in there. It doesn't like go eight and then go to a seven. It's not, it's one still five groove or whatever, you know, a five R barrel and things like that. It, it's, it's not like some people are putting in their heads. So anyway, there's huge, huge discussions about all this on Sniper's Hide in the forums, do a quick look. You do the what's new. It'll come up because we're, we're on to multiple pages already. And this is the direction we're going. This is what we're doing. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about at Sniper's Hide. What are the ramifications of hyper-stabilizing stuff? Where are we going with barrel technology and gain twist again? You know, bullet technology, what's going on with this? In, in solids 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 okay copper solids now there's there's some kind of be coming around um part of the shot show stuff that we were talking about was a uh, steve um up in idaho area there i think he's in idaho and he has a solid bullet that i've actually shot uh, quite a bit in the past that somebody got a hold of and did a test on and his results in this solid bullet was insane so bullet technology can can be changed. We're, we're seeing you know, we're seeing new variants in all the 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 Hornadays, the ELDs, and the different you know the two twenty fives, Sierra with the long two thirties. You know all this stuff is starting to change a little bit. So we need to bring the barrel up to meet the change in bullet and powders. And it's got to be more than just saying, don't do a ten twist, do an eight twist. Okay yeah, we, we can do that. But then, you know, if we gain it, we could do a little bit of both. So something for you guys to think about out there and the direction that, that Frank's going. And uh, so good stuff though. I, th I think it's, it's interesting that we're pushing this forward and that we're talking about this stuff. And, and I really, really do think that we're going to see, a, a, you know, a, another big take, tectonic shift in what we're doing and, and a lot a lot of it's going to come from this elr that you know the the elr central the, the world record events and things like that because we're pushing that accuracy out so much farther it's going to change everything inside and and that's where my head's at with what we're doing what we're looking at and i just want to you know let you know we're on that cutting edge bartland's on that cutting edge these bullet manufacturers are getting on that color and cutting edge with Warner Tool, what they're doing, with cutting edge, what they're doing, you know, stuff like that. 
So definitely look at it. Definitely think about it. If you want to go longer and farther and harder, you got to push it harder, right? But when you push it harder, you got to make sure it all stays together. And 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 that's where uh, you know I have my focus for 2018 right now. Um, you know, part of it's even playing around, and, and and I know it's been done in some other things already, going back a, f- a few years. But I mean, even just looking at it with the seven twist 260 that I'm doing, you know, that I brought it back shorter, and, and I'm playing with it in the 20 inch range, but I have my numbers back up, and and, and you heard me talk about that in the previous podcasts and stuff. That I'm, I'm, it's a balance, right? It's spin and, and gyro stability in velocity. And how do we maintain gyro stability if your velocity falls down? And if we go too much on velocity and you start going heavy on your gyro stability, can the bullet handle it? That's the weak link, man. Remember that. Millions and millions of bullets get manufactured in batches like that. They're not pulling every one of them out and checking Our weak link in all this is the bullet. That's why solids, you know, solids bring you to push you to the next level, I guess is the better way of doing it. And if you want to take advantage of the solids, you know, your barrels matter. That's that's the point of contact. I'm getting a a lot of questions on the Warner tools like the 121s, the um, the the six fives. In in. You know, people want to know load data, and we have. There's like three threads right now going on in Sniper's High just about the Warner Tool 121s. There's load data in there. There's results in there, and there's all kinds of stuff people are seeing, and and, and you're seeing the pros and cons, and it's pretty evident what rifles are doing well with them and what aren't. Uh, Just a prime example, the the Savage barrels are not working too good, you know? So whatever Savage is doing barrel-wise... It's the same thing they've always been doing for years and years and years. Guys are having a hard time getting the Warners to work. Well, is that Warner Tools' fault or do you think that's Savage's fault? You know, Warner Tools' latest latest and greatest, Savage is doing the same thing they've always done. You know? So that's that's something that you, you have to consider. We're, we're right now today, where's our weak link? I mean, look at all the actions that come out. Actions, man. Every day there's a new one. I can't even list them all anymore. You know, before it used to be, well, I want Defiance or do I want, you know, Stiller or or do I want, I don't know, uh, Bighorn, right? That. Well, now it's Impaxed and it, it's Milesingfield and Nucleus and, uh, you know, all the different variations on the Defiance and, and all these actions. I mean, it's like actions, actions, actions. But at the end of the day, do we talk like that when it comes to barrels? No, I'm the only one putting my money where my mouth is and getting these gain twists left hand and all this other stuff. Where are these other guys stepping up? They're doing the same thing over and over again because they're tied to that machine and that machine can't handle it. Well, we need the Bartland shift, okay? We need a Bartland bump <laughs> to get it to get this the other people to realize what they're doing this other guy's not. What they're doing is shown in the results. And yeah, the other guy's doing it traditionally really well. They've always have, but we're, we're changing. We're moving. And they need to move with it. So you barrel guys, get on it. Get with me. Give me a call. I'll work with you, man. I'm happy to shoot barrels. You know, barrels, barrels are tires. They're expendable. 
You know, I'll, I'll swap them like friggin', you know, I swap my socks. And I'm not wearing socks, but I'll swap them like my socks. You know what I mean, man? So that's, that's what I'm talking about. And great discussions on everything with everybody. I really appreciate everybody participating in those discussions. I really appreciate you guys listening to this, hearing me kind of rant on about it. It's, it's a lot easier to talk about it than it is to um, write about it, to be honest with you. You get a lot of people who, who, um, who, who will uh, infer things either because I didn't say it or I said something and, and they didn't quite understand how I said it. So that's something that um, it's tough in writing. You know, they don't get the they don't they don't get the full effect when you're writing it. And we all know that that, that you know how that works. But anyway, um, I'm sure this weekend I'm going to be getting together with Mike and, and we'll knock out a bunch together uh, as well. well. We'll have him break down the week for everybody as we're getting. I don't even know what day today is. Today's Thursday. Frig, man, Thursday already. Holy cow. Alrighty. Well, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Hey man, I only need a, like 75 more people to be, um, hit a thousand. I really want to hit that thousand by the weekend. And we got the 30,000 downloads. We got the whole thing. I'm, I'm digging that. I'm, I'm digging the traction that we're getting with the everyday sniper. Um, so pass it on to your friends Share it on Facebook. The only reason I am even kind of on the Facebook thing is to advertise this. So share it when I post the links on Facebook for me, uh, you know, so we can get uh, that. I want the thousand subscribers at a minimum. More is better, but a thousand in this short amount of time is fantastic. The 30,000 downloads are great. So I really appreciate that uh, sincerely. And uh, thanks to Mike. Like I said, it was pretty funny. It was Mike's idea. And, and it took off. So you got Frank at the Everyday Sniper and Mike's over at Mile High. Give him a ring, like I said, for those uh, retail questions. And we will talk to you again. Cheers. <laughs>